The scripture reading for this morning comes from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Recently, I was listening to some music on YouTube, and I came across a song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It was called, It Will Be Worth It All. It had been an especially difficult week for me. Maybe you've had one of those lately, too. And maybe that's one reason why I found the song to be so deeply moving. I wanted to share the lyrics with you now. Often we don't understand the trouble in this life. Though we trust his perfect plan, we sometimes question why. All the tears we've cried every sleepless night. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Every fear erased on that day, it will be worth it all. We'll find our resting place the moment we see Jesus' face. We will behold him. It will be worth it all. For every heartache and pain that we feel, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. We will wear a crown, lay our burdens down. When the storm has passed, we'll be home at last. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Every fear erased on that day, it will be worth it all. We'll find our resting place. The moment we see Jesus' face, we will behold him. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Those words echo the uplifting hope that we find in today's passage. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Love him. Last week, we looked at the opening verses of James's letter, and we learned that our trials, the hard and painful things in life, are used by God like a refining fire. It burns away impurities and makes our faith more like pure gold. 
The heat might burn, but it makes us more beautiful, more durable, more whole, more loving, more like Jesus. Today's passage continues to explore the topic of our painful trials, but this time, just like that song, it directs our attention to the future. It promises us that there's a crown of eternal life that awaits those who persevere under trial. That's a picture of a a laurel wreath that's placed on the head of the winner of a marathon. Those who faithfully endure the long and difficult race of life will receive eternal reward and finally rest. Friends, whether if it's grief from the loss of loved ones, or the nightmare of broken relationships, or the stress of personal finances, or depression, or sickness, or debilitating anxiety and fear, it might hurt right now. It might feel like more than you can bear, but don't give up. Keep going. One day soon, you know, we will wear a crown, lay our burdens down. When the storm has passed, we'll be home at last. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Every fear erased on that day, it will be worth it all. We'll find our resting place. The moment we see Jesus' face, we will behold him. It will be worth it all. Amen. Our passage this morning goes on to teach us even more about our hardships and trials. It draws our attention to one kind of trial we commonly face, one example. It also addresses two struggles that we face in the midst of our trials. So one example, two struggles. Let's take a look. One kind of trial. Our trials are many, but James focuses our attention for a moment on one kind of trial. It's our personal tendency to judge our personal worth by our social status and wealth. First, in verse 9, he turns to those in humble circumstances. You may not have a lot to your name. Maybe you struggle daily just to make ends meet. According to the standards of D.C., there's not a lot that's outwardly impressive about your life, your job, if you have one, your apartment if you have one. Here's how the world sees you as lowly. And here's the trial. You've begun to believe them. And here's what James says to you. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in what? Their high position. You might be low in the eyes of the world, but if you have Jesus, you have an exalted place in the kingdom of God. You're a child of the king. You're seated on his throne right now. Your sins are forgiven. You're loved by God. His eye is always on you. You have unfettered access to the God of the universe in prayer. You're the envy of the angels. You have treasure in heaven. Take pride, beloved in your high position. But others of us have the opposite challenge. You have a lot, money in the bank. Or or maybe you don't have tons materially, but you do in terms of opportunity. A college degree, a master's degree, the ability to choose where you live, indeed a luxury. 
living in relative security. Now, don't forget, what's middle class in America today is wealthy to the rest of the world. In, James, in, in verse 10, James uses the word rich to describe this group. See, here's how the world sees you as high up in your wealth or position or education or power. And here's the trial. You've begun to believe them. And here's what James says to you. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What does that mean? You might be high up in the eyes of the world in your standing in society, but remember, if you're in Christ, your true identity comes from a Savior who was despised, rejected, and even killed lowly. See, your true salvation comes not from climbing up, but from dying, embracing the liberating humiliation of repentance, admitting your sin. Your big hope comes from making yourself small. Your great joy comes from taking the low place and lifting others up in love. Take pride in gospel lowliness, kingdom humiliation, James tells us, and not in your outward status. Why? Because all that stuff passes away. And we will too, and we won't be able to take any of it with us. Verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. You see, friends, our tendency is to judge ourselves and, let's be honest, judge others based upon our place in society our possessions, our, our status, our careers. Uh, we're low, we're high, we're nobody, we're somebody. We assess our ultimate worth based on outward things, worldly things. Do you see this pattern in you? This is a trial. It controls our self-image. It manipulates our, our emotions up and down. It twists our life decisions. It infects our relationships. It's a trial. We judge our worth based on outward things. James redirects our intention to the inward things, the realities of the gospel that makes the believer in Christ, without a penny to their name, the wealthiest person in the world that makes the Christian nobody an exalted one in the eyes of God, that makes the wealthiest believer not one notch higher than a fellow sinner saved by grace, that makes the Christian blessed with position and opportunity a self-denying servant just like Jesus. That's what the gospel does. Now, in addition to this one kind of trial, James also teaches us about two struggles that we often face in the midst of our trials. Not only are the trials themselves a struggle, the hardships and pains we face produce additional spiritual struggles. Now, here's two of them. The first is the struggle with temptation. Oftentimes, when our finances are uncertain, when there's stress in our family relationships, when our health is, is failing, that's when we are most vulnerable to temptation. Do you feel vulnerable today? Every follower of Christ faces temptation, but hardship and trials 
amplify and multiply the enticements to sin. That seems to be why James addresses this topic in verses 13 to 15. When the going gets rough, we're tempted, aren't we, to burst out in anger and rage. We're tempted to give in to an unbelieving heart, refusing to believe that God is for you. We're tempted towards self-righteousness, judging others for their lack of suffering. We, we think only about ourselves giving into selfishness. We're tempted towards greed, hoarding the proverbial toilet paper to protect ourselves and our needs. When we feel low because of hardship, we're tempted towards arrogance, boasting in ourselves to boost our ego, or sulking in self-pity, which itself is a form of pride. I deserve more. Ah, so many suffering saints. Do you notice the pressures of temptation in the midst of your pain? Oftentimes, in the face of temptation, we give up and we give in too easily. Sometimes we give in so quickly and so habitually, we may not even realize there's such a thing as temptation. It's temptation. We don't even realize that we can, by God's grace, resist temptation. And James's words gives us hope in this regard. He tells us how temptation develops in our hearts. Verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So here's what we have. We have desires in our hearts. And temptation is, is like the bait at the end of a, a fishing rod. Every temptation offers a false promise, a promise of beauty, a promise of relief, of, of glory, of justice, of, of strength. And our desire for these things are enticed and hooked and dragged away. Uh, nobody sits there looking for a chance to tell a lie. But we do desire to look good in the eyes of other people. There's where temptation sneaks in. So we bend the truth in our conversations. Uh, Nobody sits there just looking for revenge for no reason, but we do desire the feeling of being right. And we hate the feeling of looking like a fool. And here's where temptation sneaks in. So we retaliate with angry words rather than forgive. Nobody just sits there just wanting to envy a friend. That's miserable. But we do desire to have a more comfortable life, and we do desire to be admired by others. So when we flip through Facebook or Instagram and you see pictures of others looking so happy or showered with praise, here comes the temptation. We're enticed towards comparison and envy. Now notice, even at this point, It hasn't yet become sin. Temptation is not the same as sin. Christ himself was tempted, though he was without sin. There's a difference between facing temptation and succumbing to it. Temptation only develops into sin when we ignore it and let it grow or indulge in it and make room for it. Friends, are you making room for temptation? If we don't flee from it or put it to death immediately, it, James tells us, conceives. It gives birth to sin. And sin, says verse 15, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
centuries ago, John Owen once said, the end of any temptation is the dishonor of God and the ruin of our souls. But the main point here is that there's hope. Hope in the face of temptation. James is teaching us in the midst of our trials to ask ourselves some questions. What are you desiring? What do you really want? What desires make you most vulnerable in times of stress and trial? And as we learn to notice temptation swelling in our hearts, we say to ourselves, man, I'm being enticed. Or... Or, or I'm, I'm getting hooked here like a flopping fish. Or shoot, I, I'm getting dragged away by this desire. I can see it. And you notice this in the course of a few seconds or a few hours. Or you start to see it developing across even weeks or months or years. You know, temptation can develop gradually and subtly over time. The little dream or gripe that's quietly nursed in your heart over a long period of time But the good news is you can resist it. By God's grace, you can. You can flee from it. You can bring it before the Lord before it is fully conceived and fully grown. God can give you grace even for this. Temptation, that's the first struggle. A second and related struggle that we often face in the midst of our trials is suspicion towards God and sometimes even resentment towards God. Notice that James's teaching on temptation is actually focused on our tendency to blame God for our temptations. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God may allow our trials and even our temptations, But he isn't the author of sin. He is not rooting for you to fail. But in the midst of the anguish of our trials, we often doubt God's character. We say to ourselves, God isn't good. He's withholding blessings from me. Fickle and unpredictable. He's trying to hurt me. In fact, he's trying to kill me. Are you struggling with feeling this way? about God in your season of trial, maybe even today. It's all right. You you can be honest. Does God feel like a crook or a miser or even an executioner? This is part of our struggle in our trials. Then James wrote verses 16 to 18 for you. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Oh, dear friends, struggling with suspicion towards God in the midst of your pain, God is good. Yes, even when the light of his goodness appears dim and everything good and every good thing that you have in this life, everything you have, don't you know it comes from God's hand. He's been generous to you. You see it most in the cross of Christ, his love for you in Jesus, but you see it in your life every day, don't you? 
He's not only your heavenly father, he's also the the maker of the the sun, the the moon, the stars, the heavenly lights, sovereign over all creation, reigning over all things, reigning over the details, even the painful details of your life. And the sun and moon may rise and set and spin and move and cast ever-shifting shadows, and this world and the people in it may rise and fall and move and change and abandon and disappoint with ever-shifting motives, but God never changes. He never breaks his promises to you, never changes his mind about you when he says he loves you, never alters his perfect plans for you. He's not hurting you to destroy you. He gave us spiritual birth through the word of truth. James reminds us he gave us life. He's not going to ruin or ditch the life that he gave and made. So abounding is God in life-giving goodness and grace. He doesn't even stop just with you and me, his people. We're only the first fruits, James tells us, the beginning of a really big harvest. God's going to renew all that he has created. Every corner of this world that he made is going to abound in his love. And you, beloved, will always be the crown of his renewed creation, the very best thing that he's ever made. Dear doubting one, dear suspicious one, dear hurting one, behold your God. Behold his goodness. Behold his love. Behold him today. And behold his promise that one day you'll look back on this very moment in your life, this season of pain and trial and crowned that day with glory and surrounded by the infinite radiance of Jesus, you will confess it was worth it all. For every heartache and pain that we feel, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. We will wear a crown, lay our burdens down. When the storm has passed, we'll be home at last. We'll find our resting place the moment we see Jesus' face. We will behold him. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Brothers and sisters, it will be worth it all. Let's pray. Jesus, open our eyes to see you in all your beauty, your glory, your love and grace, so that it will be our testimony, even today, that the struggle is worth it. The grace that you give to us is lavish and abundant. And carry us on, dear Lord, until that day, when we will look upon this day and say with joy, with confidence, with glory, it was worth it. It was worth it all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.